You have been made with a purpose and given specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip. Stay tuned to gain insights to prepare, equip, and empower you to do the work of ministry. Glad that you're with us again today talking about having a mind reset. We're focusing in on how worship can be your weapon. If you're just joining us for the first time, thank you for joining us. We are here because of you. We're here because of your prayers, your donations, and just sharing it and getting the message out. So thank you for that. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And Requipment, we are here because we want to be a resource. We want to come alongside your local pastor and your local church, and we want to help you along this discipleship journey with training and models and tools to help you be more effective in your ministry. So we're coming alongside you. We've been talking about renewing your mind or having a mind reset. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Jesus came to this world. He came and he set us free from the consequence of sin. And if you've been around for a little bit and you understand that, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place and he rose again on the third day and he justified you to the Father, you're completely clean. When God sees you, he sees his son, he sees his daughter, he loves you, he accepts you in. But sometimes there's still a problem. We are mentally bound. We need to have a mind reset. And this world has these patterns of this world and these things where people love to celebrate. And Paul even found this to be true when he went to a place called Mars Hill. It was also known as the Areopagus. This was a center of town in Athens. And this is where people would gather around. They would discuss some ideas. And Paul noticed some things and Acts chapter 17, verse 23, and he says, I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. And Paul knew the things that bound people were likely the things that they celebrated. We like our comfortable prisons. As followers of Jesus, his kingdom is opposite than what we naturally would think. If we want freedom, we must submit. If we want healing, we must deny ourselves. If we want to be great, we must be like a servant. If we want to be built up, we build up others instead. And there was this one time where Jesus was in his ministry and he, he was ministering to people and he was in Judea and he spent some time there. And that's sort of in the Southern portion of the place of Israel that we know now. The Bible tells us in John chapter four that he wanted to go one more time back to Galilee. This is kind of back to his hometown, and he wanted to spend some time there probably before he would eventually go to Jerusalem and then, of course, be crucified and resurrected. But he decided, man, I just want to go back to the place where I grew up, and I want to do some more things there. And the Bible says something interesting. What it says is he had to go through Samaria. And this gives you some perspective on what they thought of Samaria. Samaria was a place where it was the wrong side of the tracks. It was a place where you didn't want to go. It was a place where uh, people, they, they just didn't know God the way 
the the Jews did. They, they just didn't, there, were, there was something a little bit off about them. They didn't fully have the law. They didn't fully understand. They didn't have the right doctrine. They didn't really worship in the right way. But Jesus chose to go this way and the disciples didn't realize this until after, but Jesus was always intentional with the things that he was doing. And it said he had to go, but he really was intending to go. And when he was going through, he decided to stop and get some water. But he decided to stop at this well in Samaria and just by happenstance, but not really because God is sovereign. He knows that these things were happening. He was in tune with God, the Holy Spirit, and the Father was guiding him. And Jesus stops at this well, and this woman comes up, and Jesus begins to talk to this woman, which was an odd thing. This is something you wouldn't normally do. Uh, you wouldn't talk to a Samaritan woman at that. And there were some interesting things that transpired, but Jesus begins to teach her really about worship. It's really about, and he gets to that point by asking her about her life. And that's a good way to, if you want to engage people, you want to discuss things with people, don't just go up telling them things. What if we were more like Jesus when we begin to ask them some questions? Yeah, we want to get to the gospel. We want to share the news of Jesus with them, but don't start there. Start where Jesus started, and he just asked them questions. He said, hey, hey, where's your husband? And she's like, well, I don't exactly have a husband. He says, oh, I know, you've had five of them. And the one you're with now is not even your husband. And then she notices, well, this guy's probably a prophet because he has no clue who I am, but he knows everything about me. But then Jesus, throughout this conversation, where Jesus is revealing her sin, really she's revealing her own sin, Jesus tells her something about worship and tells him that worshipers, true worshipers will come about and they're gonna come up doesn't matter where they're from. doesn't matter what you know. But true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And he says something very interesting. And he says that the Father seeks these kind of worshipers. Because the fact is that everybody worships something. Everybody has something where their mind is fixated on. Everybody has something where they are just, maybe it's the pain that you went through. Maybe for this woman, it was the adultery and it was the sexual trauma and it, and it was the, the regret and all the things that she was bound up. Maybe it, it, for you, it is some kind of uh, drug addiction or, or it's some kind of um, self-shame and hatred and just all these things. I don't know what it is for you, but there's something that you're fixing your mind on and you keep thinking about it, thinking about it. We call that anxiety today, or, or maybe if it puts us in a certain state, we call it depression. There's a lot of things and those are really just alarm bells. Those are warning lights. Those are symptoms. Those aren't diagnosis. Jesus is the great physician. He was trying to diagnose the problem. He wasn't just trying to label symptoms. And worship is our acknowledgement of God and Jesus taught to seek God first in Matthew 6:33 and he tells us the result of our worship produces benefit for us as well. That's what he tells us there in Matthew 6:33. We cannot go into worship with the purpose of receiving because if we did then the person we are worshiping is us. 
also known as idolatry. However, God helps us renew our mind through our worship. That's one of the things that God does, and worship is about God. But there are also secondary benefits for us. So the first point I wanna bring us to is that worship refills us. There is this lie out there about self-care. Self-care is sort of a secular view that is sort of worked its way into Christian thinking and you hear it all the time and it sounds so logical and even spiritual in a lot of way, but is it biblical? And maybe you've heard you cannot love other people unless you love yourself. Now, if you read the Bible and you read what God says about and when God diagnoses us, usually we're the problem. Usually, our love of ourself is the problem. I don't think our problem is we don't love ourselves enough because it sounds really good and it sounds so logical. And the idea is that it show love to others, we have to first have a higher self-esteem. And it's the problem, and it really comes out of psychology and not the Bible, but it's this idea that because we have a low self-esteem, we don't love people. That's really our problem. Now, I'm not talking about burning yourself out, and I'm not talking about overworking yourself because these are really some issues about overextending ourselves in an unhealthy way. So that's not what I'm saying. Of course, we don't wanna overextend ourselves. But if you're feeling burned out, it's likely because you're using the wrong fuel. Now, here are two ways that I, I think I see here that self-care goes wrong. And then the first thing, the first motivation for self-care is to make yourself look or feel good. And this is what we know as people-pleasing. When we're so concerned what other people are thinking about us and we want to go out of our way to make ourselves look good so we can be presentable or to make ourselves feel good so we can present ourselves in the right way. And the second way is that we make others feel or look good. That's one of our big motivations for self-care. And this is we're trying to keep someone else from their consequences. Maybe you're covering for a colleague or a friend or you're covering for a family member. Maybe there's somebody very close to you that they've made some very, very bad choices. And there's some consequences that go with it. But maybe you're, you're hovering over them and you're, you're overextending yourself. You're trying to protect them. You're trying to insulate them from consequences that are rightfully coming for them. Sometimes these consequences, quite often these consequences are the best teachers. But we're trying to overextend ourselves and we're trying to be that shock absorber for the problems in other people's lives. And this is where we get this notion of, no, you just need to have self-care. You just need to take care of yourselves because you have these impure motives. But the second thing is we're really getting into this is worship helps us fight spiritually. Some examples, one of the examples I love in Revelation chapter 19, 
is describe this spiritual and physical battle. This is where Jesus is about to come back to the earth. And he's coming on a white horse and he's coming as a conquering king. He's not coming as a defenseless baby. He comes and he'll set up his physical kingdom on earth for 1,000 years. And this battle is known as the marriage supper of the lamb. Before this battle, something very strange and something very interesting happens just before the most important battle of all history happens. People are worshiping. Not even those who are fighting, but the bystanders. Followers of Jesus are worshiping and praising and rejoicing. They're singing a song as if they are completely convinced that Jesus will win. And then in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're thrown into this jail. How they got there is something very interesting as well. They're walking around through the city and the slave girl is just following them around, just bugging them, just bothering them and shouting to Paul and Silas that they were followers of God. Like she is just coming up and you are a follower of God. You are a follower of the most high, but doing it in such an obnoxious and annoying way because really she's filled with an evil spirit. And it's really the evil spirit just trying to call them out, trying to probably trying to highlight them so they will get attacked. So people will reject the message because you have this annoying slave girl, but really it's the annoying demon that's within this girl And they eventually got so annoyed with the evil spirit in the girl. They didn't get annoyed with the girl because they knew their battle wasn't flesh and blood, but they got annoyed with the evil spirit, so they cast it out. You would think that the masters of the girl would be so happy that she was possessed, but now she's not. She's been freed from this bondage of this evil spirit, but they weren't. They were angry. They were very upset because this girl, enabled by the evil spirit, was able to tell the future, or at least it convinced people that that's what was happening. They were so mad and angry because they saw their income dropping. And listen to what it says in verse 25 through 26. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So they're they're thrown in jail and this is what they're doing. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken. And at its foundations, all the doors immediately flew open. The chains and every prisoner fell off. This is how we should worship now. They knew God would overcome in the situation because they'd already won. They knew that Jesus was already won, even though he hadn't even stepped on the the battlefield yet. In Revelation chapter 19, just like it was right before the battle, Paul and Silas were way before the battle. And right now we're still before the battle. So why can't we worship like that now? And worship is a weapon is what I'm telling you. I want you to listen to my friend Cassidy's song. 
It's called War With My Praise. And I'm gonna put in the links, I'm gonna put in the show notes, everything where you can get in touch with her, you can contact her, you can download this song from iTunes. I highly encourage that you do it, but I want you to listen to the song.
often out of your workness indicates your weakness and your weakness becomes your weapons. The things that most often draw us to worship God is because you recognize your deficiency in an area and you recognize the greatness of Jesus. And the third thing I wanna end on and leave you with is worship helps us see more clearly. When you look at the verse just before our anchor verse here in Romans chapter 12, we're gonna go to verse one and it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. In Psalms 8, 2, I love how it tells us this and it gives us the, the power and the way you can overcome and you have this clarity when you praise and when you worship. And it says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe in the avenger. Do you have too many voices going on right now? Are there just so many things happening? You're like, I can't hear God's voice. I don't know where he's leading me. I just feel like I'm in this fog. You need to worship. It's given you the ingredients. God is telling you what to do. Seek after him with everything you have. Worship him and praise him. And he will direct your paths. And he will then all of a sudden fight for you. He said through the praise, you will silence the foe and the avenger. Your anger can give the enemy a stronghold, but your praise gives God a stronghold. Set aside some time today and worship. Don't, don't plan it off, do it today. Do it tonight. Do it as soon as you can. This is how you turn the corner. This is how you leave the enemy powerless and you actually silence him. Our surrender invites God into the situation. You've been listening to Requip Ministries and thanks so much for listening. And go ahead, head on over to our website for more resources. That's requip.org, R-E-Q-U-I-P.org. And you can always connect with me on social media as well. And until next time, we hope you follow the command to always be prepared for action.